0: Jump in today to the last installment of our series called "Win at Home." So, "Win at Home," Part Five. "Win at Home," Part Five. And today, the title of our message, the topic of today, is that purity paves the way to intimacy. Purity paves the way to intimacy. And some of you, when you hear the word intimacy, you might only think of one aspect of a relationship. But really, all intimacy means is closeness in relationships. That it's really hard to have a close relationship with anybody. And an intimate relationship is one where you know somebody on a deeper level than just small talk. You know, you know them, you know their, the good things about them, you know the, the bad things about them, you know their struggles, you know their joys, and guess what? You still love each other, right? And isn't that a great thing? Uh, but here's the deal, purity paves the way to intimacy. To illustrate this, let me, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, me and my family, we love to watch this show called Alone. And basically they throw people out yeah. in the wilderness and see how long they can last alone. And, and, and so many of the, the seasons of this show are based on this island called Vancouver Island up in British Columbia. And it's one of the most remote and one of the most harsh environments in all of the world. It rains over 200 days a year there. Uh, winds can gust over 120 miles an hour. Um, the, the forest is like a rain forest, but in the north. And it's so thick with vegetation that you can barely walk through the forest. And so in one season, uh, they decided to do like teams. And so they put two people out there. But the catch was at the beginning of the season, they put the two people on the team 10 miles apart. And one of the team members had to hike 10 miles and they were only given coordinates on a map, like, hey, go in this direction. And they had to hike hike 10 miles through this rainforest to get to their partner, Before, and and so then they get to their partner and then they start their journey of surviving in the wilderness alone for as long as they can. Last man standing wins the show and wins $500,000, which is kind of cool. But out of all the seven teams that they deposited out there, only, I think, four of them actually made it the whole 10-mile journey. And all of them that made this 10-mile journey it took them at least 10 days to go 10 miles. So one mile per day, because the vegetation was so thick, because the hiking was so hard, because it was so wet and so cold, and the conditions were just that tough. And so just imagine this, 10 miles crawling, sometimes literally on their hands and knees, crawling in this incredibly tough environment, And there's all these barriers in the way between them and their loved one and most of these teams were comprised of you know a father and son or two brothers or a husband and a wife and so they're trudging through the wilderness trying to get close and the things that were keeping them apart were all these barriers so just get that in your head. When I say purity paves the way to intimacy, the opposite would be a life full of impure things that keeps you apart from each other. And trying to get each other, it's like you're crawling through all this junk and crawling through all this sin and crawling through all this, these things in your life that just really make having an intimate relationship with somebody else, whether it be you, know, you with your child or you with your spouse or you with your father or mother really, really hard. My boys, Jason and Levi, they're, they're so into fishing right now. And I love it, they're having a great time. Just this morning, um, Levi was back here in a pond, uh, just in one of these neighborhoods right behind the church and literally caught like a 15 or 20 pound carp. Okay, and so I wish I had time to throw the picture on, but he's literally like holding this carp like a baby and it's hanging off either side of him and the thing is just massive. And they're having a great time and having the time of their life. Um, but last weekend, they did the same thing. They come in, and they change their clothes in my office back here. And my office reeked, right? And so they come in, and they're so excited to see me. And Levi especially. He's 13 years old, but he still loves his dad, which I just think is awesome. And so every time he sees me, he just runs up and wants to give me a big hug. And, um, but how many of you want to know that when they come in smelling like carp, I don't want to hug? I'm like, and, and he loves it. You know, he thinks it's hilarious. So he's like, oh, dad. And I'm like, get away from me. Right? Don't touch me. You reek. Take a shower. Right? And if any of you have a 13-year-old boy, there has been times in your life when you're like, step back. Wash your socks. You stink. Go take a shower, right? And so, listen, for me to say shower before you hug me didn't mean that I don't love my son. Loving him was not the issue. The smell was the issue. And so when we talk about purity paving the way to intimacy, it's not that you don't love people. It's not that you don't, you know, want to be close to them, but the smell of sin, the smell of impure things in your life will create a roadblock between you and the ones you love the most. Does that make sense? I love my son. But when that smell is on him, man, it really puts a chink in our relationship. Right? And so that's the mental picture that I want you to get this morning when we talk about the fact that purity paves the way to intimacy. Man, we've talked a lot about a lot of of great topics. And if you're joining us online this morning, man, I just want to welcome you. Thanks for, for tuning in. And if you've missed any of the last four messages, you can jump online. They're all there and you can catch up. But we've had a lot of great topics. But this is almost one that it's like, man, if we don't get this right, this is one that it's, it's kind of like in Django when you're pulling out those things. If you just hit, pull the right one and the whole tower comes falling down. And purity is that kind of thing in our life. Like everything can be going good. Relationships can be awesome. And then it's like, whoa, something in your life or something in my life comes up and it's like, you're doing what? You're into what? You chose what? And it puts a kink in the relationship. It breaks down the intimacy in the relationship. And so when God looks at us, the issue is the same. He loves you and I so much, but here's the deal. God will not coexist with sin. Isn't that a tough reality? God will not Coexist with, with sin. But here's the amazing promise from Scripture you are not your sin. You're not your sin. But Still, unresolved sin in our lives poisons the well of relationship. And the same things that break our relationship with God also break our relationships with each other. Why? Because purity paves the way to intimacy. And if our lives are impure, it will put a huge kink in our relationships. Sin and impurity is an obstruction. It's something we trip over. It's something that, man, we can't get past without God's help. And nothing will tear your home apart more than sin. Listen, and I'm not picking on you today, and you'll see when we get into scripture, but listen, we we worry more about clean eating than clean hearts. We're more concerned with the state of the environment than the purity of our hearts. We're more concerned with a clean house than a clean mind. We're more concerned about offending men than we are offending God. We care more about being right than righteous. And when I say right, I mean like, you know, I want to be right in the relationship. I want to be right on Facebook. I want to be right without offending people. We can't say that something's right or wrong without offending people. And we're so afraid of offending people that we're not willing to stand for what is right. And so you in your life and, and me in and my life, a lot of times we're just like, oh, I, I don't know if I should say anything. I don't know if I should do anything. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I'll just do my best. But man, I'm here to tell you today with all the compassion and love in the world that your best is not good enough and, is, and neither is mine. You know, in our culture, in our day and age, people say things like, how dare you say that I have sin." How dare you say that your way is the right way and my way is the wrong way? Right? But let me tell you something. The cross and its existence is offensive. Why? Because the cross and its very existence, the very fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of all the universe, came down from his throne in heaven and died on a cross, says that you and I have sin. Because if you and I didn't have sin, and if you and I were not impure, then there would have been no reason for Christ to have to die. And so you want to talk about something offensive today. Just look at the cross. The Bible says it like this in 1 Corinthians one twenty three. It says, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. How cool is that? The cross is offensive to everybody that doesn't understand it. But to those who the Holy Spirit has opened up their hearts to the word of God, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. And so what does that say to us? You know, you might get your feathers ruffled a little bit this morning when I talk about sin. When I talk about, hey, we need to be pure in our relationships because you might think that you're all good, that you don't do anything wrong, that, you know, that everything's fine and, hey, whatever floats your boat and all that stuff. But, hey, here's the deal. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Purity paves the way to intimacy. Here's some cultural issues when it comes to sin. ...that I just want to lay out really clearly today before we move on. You are not your sin. You are not your temptations. You are not your inclinations. Your true identity is that you are a child of the King... ...created by the Most High God. God is calling you home today to a different standard... ...than your feelings and inclinations. It's not what you feel. It's what's real. Any attempt in life to synchronize God's acceptance of you with your sinful nature is unscriptural and flawed in its premise. Listen to this again. Any attempt to synchronize, basically to bring into the same conversation, God's acceptance of you and your sinful nature is unscriptural and flawed in its premise. You and I, listen, this is what the Bible says, you and I were born into sin. Because Adam and Eve sinned, you and I are born into sin. Therefore, how we were born is not the way that God intended. Every single one of you and me, how we were born is not the way that God intended for you to be born. And so the notion that I was born this way or that way, it's, this is a common argument of our world today. Oh, I was born this way. How you were born. Biblically, when you look at God's word, it's not the way that God intended. Jesus has something better for us. If you were born the way that God intended, then Jesus would never have had to come and die on a cross. So here's the premise today. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Purity paves the way to intimacy. And so how do I get pure? How do I stay pure? How do I live pure? How do I do this? To lay a good foundation, we're gonna walk through uh, the book of Romans just real quick. And this is a, a huge book with all kinds of big truths, but we're just gonna do a little highlight reel real quick through the book of Romans. And so check this out. In Romans 1, 16 through 17, it's in your notes. You can look at the notes on the app as well. It says this, it says, "'For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. "'It is the power of God at work, "'saving everyone who believes the Jew first, and also the Gentile. And what does that mean in in layman's terms and just everybody's knowledge? For everybody. You are either a Jew or a Gentile. And so, you know, the Jews are Jews and the Gentiles is everybody else. And so every single person in this room is everybody else. And so every single person in this room falls into one of those two categories. So the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish as scriptures, as scriptures say. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now I'm no smart guy, I'm no scholar, but if the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight, then I would have needed to first be wrong in His sight. This, I, th- I know this is a little logical, <laughs> but If I need to be made right, then that means I was once wrong. Does that make sense? So Romans 1, chapters 1 through 3, goes on to unpack all kinds of realities in life. It's crazy if you read the first three chapters of Romans, how many parallels there are to today's world. You know, a lot of times people say, oh man, I can't believe how bad the world is getting you know what, just go back and read Romans chapter one. The world's always been broken. Today is no different. Today is no different. The world has always been broken. And so, and we see this in Romans chapters one through three. And so it's a different day, but many of the same issues that they dealt with back then. It's definitely the same heart of man that is broken. And so here's your homework assignment for this week. Go home and read Romans, uh, the book of Romans. Go read it and especially look at the first three chapters and see how many of the same issues that are happening in society today happened back then. And so then we get to Romans chapter three and Paul drops this huge hammer. He says in Romans three twenty three, for everyone, everybody say everyone, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, right? And so me, you, your grandma, Everyone has sinned. The Pope, Mother Teresa, every, the best person that you've ever met in your life has sinned. Yet God. Man, how much, how much do you love those two words? Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did, th- he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Amen. Amen. So everyone's sin, but God, in His grace, made away. Romans five eight it says, "But God." There it is again. But God showed in His great love, showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. How cool is that? He didn't wait for you to clean up. He didn't wait for you to go take the shower like Levi needed to. He didn't wait for you to get all the junk out of your life. When you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So cool. That's amazing. And so you might say, man, that's amazing. But what about my struggle with sin? If purity paves the way into intimacy, what do I do with all this junk in my life? In Romans 6, 1 through 4, it says this. Well, then. Should we keep on sinning so that the grace of God, so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And so Paul is answering this question of the Romans, that basically they're like, well, Christ paid for it. I might as well live it up, take advantage of God's grace. And, but Paul's like, you know, should we do this? Right? Of course not, Paul says. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Everybody say new lives. Man, this is, this is big today. It's like God's grace is huge. God's grace is so big, and it's so big that I don't have to stay the way I was. I get to live a new life. I get to live a new life, free from all the junk. This is big. Remember, purity paves the way to intimacy. But man, I don't know about you, but even though I know that, I still struggle. And apparently Paul did too. If you look in Romans chapter 6, Uh, ver- uh, verses 20 through 23, let's keep, keep reading. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Basically, before you met Jesus, you did whatever you wanted, right? And maybe some of you are, are in, that, in that, that season today. You haven't met Jesus yet. You haven't given your life to Christ, and you're doing whatever you want. And you know what? That's what people who don't know Jesus do. They do whatever they want. And what was the result? What was the result? You are now ashamed of the things that you used to do. Things that in the end, um, the things that end in eternal doom. But now, there it is again. We heard yet God and but God, and now it's but now. You are free from the power of sin and you've become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you hear the tension here? It's building. It's like my life after Christ should look different than my life before Christ. There's junk in my life. It's why Jesus died. The wages of sin is its death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But I don't know about you. Once again, I still struggle I still have stuff that comes up. And I have to remember, I'm not my feelings. I'm not my inclinations. I'm not my temptations. I'm who Christ says I am. Because listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, 18 through 20. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. Anybody ever been there? I know I've been there. I want to do it, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I don't do what I don't, or but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. This is a huge verse that you need to underline. What does that say to me? It's like there's this struggle. There's this junk in me. There's this stuff I'm trying to work through. Right? And here's what Paul says. I'm not really the one doing it. It's the sin living in me that does it. Now, this isn't like a trump card when you just say like, hey, sorry, it wasn't me. Right? That's not his heart here. But what he's doing is he's saying that his identity is not his sin and this is a big deal especially for our culture right now your identity is not your feelings it's not your inclinations it's not your temptations it's not your bend you are not your sin this underlines the power of the cross you can't but god can and so, and so you keep going through, and in Romans 8, 37, Paul says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And so I want you to go home this week, read the book of Romans, really sift through it, journal about it, think about it. Because Paul is setting up this, this big dichotomy, this big kind of tug of war. It's like, I've got sin, but Jesus wants me to live free of sin. I have these impure things in my life, but Jesus wants me to live a new life. I, yes, I still struggle with this, but God is calling me some, to something bigger. And it's almost like this tension in your life. It's this constant struggle that as long as we're in the flesh, as long as we're here on this earth, it will be something that you battle till the day you die. It's almost like this tension that you're going to manage, but it's not something that will be completely solved until you breathe your last breath and step into eternity with Christ. But despite all that, Paul sums it up and he says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Paul says unequivocally, unequivocally that you and I can live lives of purity that you and I can live lives for God because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so what do we do? How do we do it? How do we pave the way for intimacy in our relationships with our purity? Because remember, the relationship that you have with your kids or with your wife or with your brothers and sisters or your parents, if you don't take care of the sin in your life, it will break down the intimacy of your relationships all day, every day. So what do we do? Four things that we're going to talk about real quick as we close today. Number one, you got to set a high standard for yourself. I'm going to set a high standard for myself. I'm going to set it for myself. Another word for this is repentance. Repentance means to do a 180. I was going this way, but now I'm going this way. I'm going to change everything in my life and I'm going to set a high standard for myself. I'm going to go the other direction of my sin. I'm going to go the other direction of the impurities in my life. I'm going to change my thoughts. I'm going to change my actions. I'm going to change my schedule. I'm going to change my choices. It's going to be a drastic change, right? That's not going to be a band-aid. There's no such thing as band-aid Christianity where you've got this wound and you just put a band-aid on it. It's just complete and total and utter change. Repentance, it means I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go the opposite direction. The number one person that you have to worry about is you. So much of the time, we're so worried about what everybody else is doing that we miss what's going on in our life. In Philippians 2.12, it says, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work out somebody else's, especially your spouse. Don't try to work out theirs. It doesn't go well. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In Matthew 5:16, it says, "Let your light so shine before men that they may, they, be, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." So set a high standard for yourself. Don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about it. Forget what everybody else thinks. Forget what everybody else is doing. You set the highest possible standard for yourself that you can. And don't get disgruntled when everybody's not doing it like you. Don't worry about that. You say, God, what do you want me to do? And do that. And you're going to get kind of this attitude that says, I will not let culture set my standard for me. I will not worry about so-and-so. I will not become consumed with the world's problems and neglect my own. I will not be a busybody and a meddler in the affairs of others. I'm just going to say, for me, I'm going to run towards Jesus. So set a high standard for yourself. Number two, if you're going to pave the way to intimacy with the purity in your own life, then you've got to live from victory. Remember, Paul said, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. In another translation, it says, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So what does that look like? You got to ask yourself, what do victorious people do? What do winners do, right? They invest their time in in activities that lead to victory, right? If I'm a quarterback, what am I going to do every single day? I'm going to throw the ball. I'm going to keep throwing the ball. I'm going to throw the ball more than anybody else because I want to be a champion of throwing the ball. And so what do people that are victorious in Christ do? What do they do? They read the word. They spend time in prayer right they seek God with everything that they have if you do little things listen I love this quote if you do little things like they're big things God will do big things like they're little things you invest in the small stuff in the in the moments in the details of life another another wise man said how you do anything is how you'll do everything And so victorious people champions they sweat the small stuff they think about the details in their life how are you doing your finances and how are you doing your relationships and how are you talking and how are you thinking and they dissect it all that's what victorious people do martin luther king jr said this and man i love this and i believe this is the heart here if you want to act like a victorious person do this he said If it falls your lot to sweep streets in life. So basically MLK is saying to man, if you find yourself doing something you don't want to do, which is basically all of us at some point. So if it falls your lot to sweep streets in life, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper, right? If you want to live a victorious life, then you do everything, every single thing that you do in life as unto God, right? Everything. You have an attitude that says, I'm going to win every single day every day that I live can be a masterpiece that I make for God you may not have won yesterday and you can't yet win tomorrow but you can win today you know anytime somebody says you know you know can you do something you know you have the thought can I do it for one day you know a lot of times when we start diets or when we start new habits in life we get so consumed with not being able to do it for years but how about you just have the attitude, can I do it for one day? Can I serve Jesus today? Can I stay pure today? Can I say no to the addiction today? Just today. And if you just take the attitude, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about all the times I've failed in the past. I'm just going to focus on today. Because here's what I know. If you could do it one day, you could do it again tomorrow. You can do anything for one day. Man, victorious people set their thoughts on things above. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, think about things of heaven, not things of earth. They get control of their thoughts. They act victorious. Number three, what what to... How do we pave the way for purity in our life? We have grace for others in the process. Remember, the first point was, man, I'm going to... I'm going to set a high standard for myself. And the flip side of that, especially in your relationships, is that you have to have grace for others in the process. Listen, don't be surprised when sinners sin. And who's a sinner? Me. You. Paul even was open about his struggle. And so don't be surprised. Man, it's it's one of the biggest traps of the devil that when you're trying to get pure, when you're trying to make the right choices, you all of a sudden become an expert about everybody else's life. But when you do that, you miss the point entirely. Shell out the same grace for other people that you've been given. In Matthew 18, we see, we see this story of an ungrateful servant. And, and, and so here's the deal. If you want to stir up God's anger in your life, if you want to stir up God's wrath in your life, then don't show people grace then don't show people the same grace that you were given. But if you want to pave the the way for intimacy in your life and live a pure life, then show other people the same grace that you've been shown. Nothing is more attractive and nothing binds relationships together like a gracious response. A gracious response. The fourth thing, if you want to pave the way for intimacy in your relationships, in your family and in your life, then don't be afraid to set boundaries. Some of these things seem to be at odds. It's like, I'm going to set boundaries in my life, but I'm going to have grace. And, and it is, it is, a, it is a, something that seems to conflict with itself. But Paul, in his writings in Romans, you'll see that it's kind of a tug and war between my sinful nature and between what God's calling me to. But all throughout Paul's letters to the churches, he's setting boundaries for those that, that, that followed Christ. If you read the sermons of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, over and over he set boundaries for our lives. And so in your life, don't be afraid to set boundaries. Some boundaries that Paul over and over uh, communicated to the churches, that he wrote letters to, uh, three, three things. False teaching, unity, and sexual immorality. So these were three things that over and over Paul identified as, as trouble areas. And you know what? It's the same in our lives. We're, we are susceptible to falling for false teaching, which would be, you know, bad interpretations of scripture. People that, that try to say, hey, if you want to, if you want God to forgive you, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And if it's anything other than by grace through faith, then it's wrong, right? And so we got to know, you know, what's the difference between good teaching and bad teaching. We need to know what it looks like to be unified in the body of Christ. We gotta know what it looks like to be unified in our families and how to not gossip and how not to tear down and how to build up. And then the whole sexual immorality piece, it's just as relevant now as it was then when Paul wrote it. How do you wanna, how are you gonna pave the way? You gotta set some boundaries. It's the old computer jargon, garbage in, garbage out. Right? You gotta set some boundaries for your eyes. You gotta set some boundaries for your ears. You gotta set some boundaries on where you're gonna go and where you're not gonna go. You gotta set some boundaries on relationships, who you're gonna hang out with and who you're not gonna hang out with. Listen, it's way easier to pull people down than lift people up. Shannon's daughter here could probably come up here and pull me off the stage. It'd be a whole lot harder for me to lift her up onto the stage. You gotta set boundaries. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. It's okay to set some boundaries in your life and say, hey, I love you, but I can't spend as much time with you because at this season of life, man, it's just just not a good place for me to be. Listen, self-imposed boundaries are the best. Self-imposed boundaries are the best because if we don't take care of the sin in our life, eventually a boundary will be set. How many people you know, because of their sin, they lost their job? They lost their spouse. Because of their sin, they lost the most important relationships to them in their life. Self-imposed boundaries are the best boundaries. So what do you do? Get in community, sign up for a life group, get around some people that are reading and listening to God's word, and you could do it together. Be accountable to somebody. Have a safe person in your life that you can tell the deepest stuff to. Like, hey, here's what I'm really struggling with. Don't tolerate certain behaviors in in your house, right? Have some control on on your devices and on your TV and on the, the things that you let in. And I'm not giving you specifics because I believe that when you seek God, he can make clear what you need to do. If you want help, man, I'm here to help. But I think that we know when we really get honest the difference between right and wrong. And if you don't know, you pray and ask God. The Bible says that God will give wisdom when you ask for it. So listen, has your life and your relationships been broken by sin's power? Run into the power of God's grace. Has the impurity of this world wrecked your self-esteem, your self-worth? and left you wondering if you're lovable? Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Has your home and your family been just drugged through the mud because of sin, wrong choices, impurity, drugs, alcohol, adultery? gossip all the junk is that you is that where you've been if you could bow your heads and close your eyes today see here's the promise from scripture it says it says it like this in Isaiah 1, 8, 1, 1 8, 118. it says though your sins are like scarlet i will make them white as snow though they are red like crimson i will make them white as well, you see, you might be struggling with just a total impure lifestyle today, but you know what? God can change all that in an instant. He did it for me. He'd done it for so many people in this room. He could do it for you too. And the first step towards intimacy in your relationships is intimacy in a relationship with God. And purity paves the way. And so if God is just shining a spotlight on your life this morning, and you say, God, man, you're, you're, you're opening my eyes. You're opening my eyes that things that I've, I thought were okay are not okay. Things that I thought were just normal are not normal. And God, through your Holy Spirit, you're convicting me today. And I just wanna tell you, church, that's a good thing. That's a good thing when the Holy Spirit shines that spotlight on parts of your heart and says, hey, Let's, let's take care of this. Let's lay this at the foot of the cross where Jesus bled and where he died and where he poured himself out for you and for me. Hey, let's leave that thing at the foot of the cross and let's go and live a new life. If that's you today and you, and you say, God, that's me. I've got stuff, I've got junk in my life and I wanna lay it at the foot of the cross today. If that's you, just raise your hand today. Say, God, that's me. I need you, I need you. And thanks so much for those of you that raised your hand. Right there at your seat, I just wanna encourage you to pray a prayer. Amen, still hands going up. Thank you, Jesus. Right there at your seat, say Jesus, I confess, I'm a sinner. I need you. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins. Bring me back to you, God. Wash me white as snow. Forgive me, Jesus. God, help me to live life for you. Help me to set a high standard for myself. Help me to be a gracious person. Help me to live life like a victor. God, put people in my life that are going to help me along the way. God, help me to engage in the right relationships. Help me to engage in the right activities. Help me to dig into your word like never before. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaicsincinnati.com.